0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you are joining us midweek. Today's message is part 21 in Pastor DJ Ritchie's Sunday evenings on Galatians. This message was given on March 7th, 2021. We want to encourage you to join us in person at one or all of our services. Our doors are open Sunday mornings at 1030, Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, and Wednesdays at 645. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. When you do, you will receive a notification each time we post a new message, and will always be up to date. We hope this message would be an encouragement to you as you follow Jesus. So grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get. To it. Turn with me to Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five. Perhaps the greatest fantasy epic of all time is J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. It was made into a series of movies a number of years ago. The story which begins in The Hobbit and continues in the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, is about this quest of a group of ragtag unlikely allies who come together to destroy this item of incredible evil. The first book of the trilogy is called The Fellowship of the Ring. And that fellowship is a partnership between a group of men and creatures called hobbits and a dwarf and an elf and this wizard, this grumpy old wizard, this ragtag group that comes together. Different goals, different cultures, different priorities, and yet a common goal to stand against the evil of their day. You now, the word fellowship in Greek is koinonia. Sometimes in the New Testament, it's translated as fellowship. Sometimes it's translated as communion. It really means partnership. It doesn't just mean getting together and hanging out. It means working together in unison towards a common goal with a common mission. As you watch those movies or read those books uh, that talk about this great quest that these uh, characters go out on, the central character is a little creature called a hobbit and he's a, sort of a small human being for those of you who haven't seen the movie and he's a very unlikely hero, which is sort of the whole point of the story. It's not his great intelligence. It's not his great skill as a warrior. It's nothing like that that makes him special. It's his commitment to the task. And he faces uh, temptation. He faces discouragement. He faces betrayal throughout the quest. He faces betrayal from within, his own sin nature. At one point in the quest, uh, little Frodo says, it does not seem that I can trust anyone. And his close friend who is Really, the unsung hero of the Lord of the Rings, another hobbit, Sam, Sam Samwise, looked at him unhappily. It all depends on what you want. Put in another friend named Mary. You can trust us to stick with you through thick and thin to the bitter end, and you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you keep it yourself, but you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word. We are your friends. Frodo. Oh, to have that level of commitment in each of our lives. Oh, to have that level of commitment in each of our churches where we are committed towards a common goal, not simply bound by some mythical quest, but bound by the very real and living God and what he has done for us and the mission that he has given to us to stand against the very gates of hell, a mission that he promises us that we will be victorious in if we stand together as the church of Jesus Christ. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church when we function as the church. When we function as who Christ called us to be and when we're on the mission that He has given to us, the very gates of hell cannot stand against us. And yet, how many times do we as Christians fail with the greatest of all quests and the greatest of all empowerments, the very person of God himself, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, how many times do we allow discouragement and betrayal, enemies from without, enemy from within, to get us off task, to get us out of focus, to get us off mission, and to distract us from what Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has called us to. Now, we have been going through this book together. Galatians, we are in the final section of the book as we talk about fruitfulness. The fruit of the resurrected life. Now remember, the heartbeat verse of Galatians is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And here we see that it's Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity the son of God lives inside of me because the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of Christ lives inside of me. And because he lives inside of me and if he lives inside of you, then he lives inside of both of us. He lives inside of all of us. We have the one to unite us to the purpose given to us and all who live in the spirit, Paul says here in Galatians chapter five, verse 25 All who live in the Spirit should walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, Paul says, let us also walk in the Spirit. The word walk back in verse 16 of chapter 5 literally means to complete the circuit. That we as we walk in the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of adoption, chapter 4, as we are allowing him to focus us on the return of Christ, the hope of righteousness that will be completely revealed in reality whenever Jesus Christ comes back for His church. And we all meet together as the entire church uh, throughout the last 2,000 years. We all come together. Some of us will be uh, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye transformed. The rest of us will be, uh, the dead in Christ will rise first actually. They're, they're actually going to beat the rest of us uh, to the air uh, they'll, because they'll be coming back with the Lord to meet us in the air. And so we will all be gathered together. And the Holy Spirit is the one who keeps us focused on that reality, keeps us focused on that accountability. And also the Holy Spirit is the one who allows us, as we saw last week, to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we need to be completing that circuit. But here, the word for walk is a different Greek word, and it literally means to march, to keep in step. And here we see that this is something that we as believers are obligated to do together because we belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 24, they that are Christ's, I don't belong to myself, I belong to Him. I'm able to do it, I'm empowered to do it because those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections of lust. And so, therefore, because I've been given new life by the Holy Spirit through uh, God's grace, by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves, we also then receive the Holy Spirit Let us then also walk in the Spirit. Nevertheless, the reason that Paul has to give the commands of verse 26 is because so oftentimes, instead of keeping in step with one another with the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves in verse 26. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, Paul says, provoking one another, envying one another. And anyone who has spent any time in church knows that there is a lot of vainglory that happens in the church. There is a lot of provoking one another. There's a lot of envying one another. And what we're going to see tonight is how we react to that. If we are truly spiritual, if we're truly walking in the Spirit, we're completing that circuit in the Spirit, we're step-by-step living out our lives in the Spirit. If we are living and then marching by the Spirit's marching orders, we're keeping in step with Him. And if I'm keeping in step with Him, and you're keeping in step with Him, then we should all be in step with one another. Of course, not perfectly, right? Because none of us are perfect, right? We're not, uh, we're not that military, military brigade that uh, has been training uh, for all of boot camp to learn how to march together, right? We're just the new recruits. We're just, we're just getting there. We're just getting to boot camp and learning uh, how we got to do this. And, and so we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have, have a learning curve, but we should be able to do this consistently enough that we can be a testimony to the world around us. And so tonight, how to be fruitful in fellowship. How to be fruitful in fellowship. Because the Christian life was never intended for us to be lived in isolation from one another. Now this morning we saw that sometimes as the prophet Micaiah 1 Kings chapter 22, sometimes we must stand alone. We must be willing to stand alone. If all the other prophets who claim to be of God, 400 of them in 1 Kings 22, if all the other ones are standing against what God has commanded, against what God has revealed, and we have to be the lone voice that says, thus saith the Lord. Here's what God's Word says. We need to be willing to do that. Nevertheless, God did not intend us to live all of our Christian life isolated from other Christians living our life alone. And so Paul, in the end of here of chapter 5 and going into Galatians chapter 6 is going to show us how to be fruitful in fellowship. Now, before we look at Galatians 6, I just for a moment want you to go back with me, as we often do, go back to the very beginning, back to Genesis. You don't have to turn there. But I want you to consider some of the first questions that are asked in the Bible. The first time a word is used in the Bible the first time an event happens in the Bible, very often God has placed it there, God has underlined it for us, it it, it has a unique significance to us and for us. And so the very first question that is asked in the Bible is asked by Satan in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? That question reveals to us The character of Satan that we will be in conflict with for the rest of human history until at the very last, Satan is, after he's released from his imprisonment, is allowed to lead one last great rebellion against God, which will be snuffed out uh, in an instant, and he will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. But until that time, we're going to have to deal with the fact that we have an enemy that is going to constantly, constantly, constantly Beca- causing us to question the Word of God. Amen. Has God really said? The first question that God ever asked, also very revealing to, the, to us about the nature of God. The first question that God asks in the Bible is, where are you? Where are you? Not because He didn't know, but He's revealing His heart and His character to us. Jesus talked about the shepherd who would leave the 99 in search of the one. This is the God who loves us so much that He came to earth to save us. He left His throne. He left His glory. And He wasn't created in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He humbled Himself. And though being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, yet made Himself of no reputation, taking upon the very nature of In form of a servant, a human embryo in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And He lived a simple life, the son of a craftsman. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross where He was the sinless sacrifice for my sin and for your sin. And He rose victorious, glorious from the dead. This is the character of God. Where are you? God wants you to Ask yourself that question tonight. Where are you in your relationship with Him? It's a question He asks us whether we're listening or not. It's a question that He asks us throughout our life. But I also want you to consider with me the very first question that is recorded in the Bible, asked by a man. Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. It was asked by the firstborn man, Cain after he had murdered his brother. And why did he murder Abel? Because Abel's sacrifice made to God was made on the basis of faith. It was a blood sacrifice made in faith to God. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice. God rejected Cain's because it wasn't based on faith. It was based on his own works. He wasn't trying to be obedient to God in the sacrifice that he brought. He was bringing what he wanted to bring to God. And God, you should... You should respect this. You should accept this. So God says, hey, where's your brother? And the first question in the Bible, it's very revealing because it reveals to us the nature of all of us. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Just as Cain should have been Abel's keeper and instead became his murderer, so also we are called as Christians to be our brother's keeper. And we see that here in Galatians 2 chapter 6. Look with me at Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Let's look at the verse first 6 verses tonight. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfil the law of Christ. Now, we have seen throughout this book that we are not under the law of Moses. The law of Moses has value to us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So yes, we still need the Old Covenant. And yes, we still need to know what God says in the law of Moses. But we're not under the law of Moses because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fulfilled the law when He became the perfect sacrifice. Once for all sacrifice for sin risen from the dead to prove that His sacrifice was accepted. Nevertheless, please don't think that we are to live lawlessly as Christians. We are under the law of Christ. We are under the rule of Christ. God did not lower His standards after He fulfilled the law of Moses. He has raised the standards for us as His children. And He's given us the ability... To meet those standards by giving us His very Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of us. We are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 4, verse 3, If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. We saw this morning, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord knows our hearts. For every man... Verse 5, shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. So, let's look tonight at a few areas of responsibility that God has given us that we need to accept. We need to accept some responsibility that we've been given under the law of Christ. And there are three areas Paul gives us here in these six verses. Three areas of responsibility which we must accept if we want to be Truly spiritually fruitful as evidenced by being fruitful in fellowship. Remember what those fruit of the Spirit are, verse 22 of chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, meekness, temperance, which is self-control, against such there is no law. Now, we saw last week that love, joy, and peace, that really is about the revolution in our relationship with God. It's the love of God that is being produced in us, not just the human friendship love of man. It's the joy of the Lord that's being produced in us, not just happiness, not just uh, you know, relaxation. It's the peace that passes understanding that God produces in us. And then, as God is producing love, joy, and peace in us, that is evidence in our relationships with others there is really no gentleness or excuse me no long suffering gentleness and goodness in isolation it's people that test your long suffering it's people can i get another amen for that it's people that test our patience whether you're standing in line or whether it's a family member or whether it's your spouse after you've had a bad night you couldn't sleep last night or you're not feeling good or you just you just uh getting on each other's nerves and you got to have love you got to have joy you got to have peace and that peace will give you that long suffering it's the gentleness and goodness that is expressed in relationship it's not gentleness towards myself and goodness towards myself it's my gentleness in how i deal with others it's my goodness being expressed to others so here's the first area of responsibility accept responsibility to be in fellowship with the brethren that is a responsibility that God has given me as a child of God to be in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ remember what he said back in verse 25 if we let us march in the spirit this is what we're to do together, to walk in line, to walk in cadence together. See, remember what Jesus revealed to us in John chapter 15, as he's on his way to the cross, he's on his way to be delivered up to the Jewish leaders who arrested him illegally at night. Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. You have to abide in me. But if you've ever seen a vine, you know that the branches grow together. The branches grow together. We're not fruitful as isolated fruit trees. We used the image of oranges last week because I, I love a good orange. I don't care if it's a tangerine or a cara cara. I, I love a good orange. But Jesus said, "I'm the vine. You're the branches." We need to understand we don't grow and be fruitful in isolation. We grow and we're fruitful as we are connected to the vine. That's why in 1 Corinthians 12, we are the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. We're not uh, just individual parts that are floating, you know, like, uh, like Thing on the Adams family, right? The little hand that runs around the house, just disconnected from a body. That's, that's not what the church is supposed to be like. But that's what a lot, a lot of churches, it's like they're creepier than the Adams family, right? we got these little parts that are disconnected from everybody else, just running around. Weird stuff going on. We're connected. We're called the body for a reason. Uh, God says to us through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, the eye can't say to the ear and the hand can't say to the mouth and the foot can't say uh, to the nose. You know, the different parts of the body, I'm, I'm mixing up the body parts there, but the, the different parts of the body can't say, I don't need you. The whole body needs itself. And I told you on Wednesday night, praise the Lord, I'm doing a lot better, but I had another little flare-up of my sciatica this week. Isn't it funny how just one little nerve in the body can remind you how, how weak we are when just that one little nerve out of all the nerves in your body starts to act up and it gets all your attention? We need each other, and we need each other to be in fellowship with one another. So let me give you a few Challenges here from these verses. Number one, expect failures in the body. We're going to fail. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Why does Paul have to give that command? Because we do it. Because we have vainglory. Because we get selfish and self-absorbed. Because we envy one another. Because we provoke one another for no reason over silly things. And Paul makes it very clear in chapter 6, not everyone is spiritual. Not everyone is marching in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Some Christians get caught up, all of us at some point in our life, by the way. But some Christian in the body is always at any given time caught up in a fault. The word for fault means to fall away after being close to. Beside. And Paul told the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 You know, I wish I could talk to you guys as, as if you were spiritual, but even though you're children of God, you're carnal. You're not spiritual minded. You're not being spiritually minded. You're being carnally minded, even as Christians. That's the reality of the church. And why do we get shocked when that happens? Why do we get shocked when we encounter Christians who aren't loving, and Christians who aren't joyful, and Christians who aren't at peace? It shouldn't surprise us. God tells us to expect it. But He also tells us, number two, to respond to conflict spiritually, not carnally. We don't respond in kind. Those who are spiritual should seek restoration of those who are not. And what are we restoring them to, you might wonder? Well, let's keep in mind where we've been in the last two chapters. In in the freedom of Christ and in the fruitfulness now of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about restoring someone, we're talking about getting them to understand again the freedom that they have in Christ, freedom from the sin that's entrapped them, freedom from the legalism that is ensnaring them so that they can once again be fruitful. So they can once again be a loving Christian and, and once again be joyful and be at peace and have self-control and be kind and be meek. The word here, Uh, To restore means to exactly fit, to adjust, to be in good working order. Again, just a little bit of disalignment in the back. Just a little bit out of joint in the shoulder. All the pain that it can cause. And what do we want? We want restoration. Restoration. We want restoration now thank you, and again, I thank you for your prayers. I, I believe that your prayers have helped me get back on my feet quickly this time because I've had sciatic episodes that have lasted for weeks, and I had to go to the chiropractor for for months and and uh, doing much much better uh, and I uh, appreciate your prayers for that, but man, I can remember just I could not wait to get to the chiropractor to get that readjustment to get that restoration, so we have to respond. Spiritually. And how do we do that? We, number three, restore meekly. This is one of the fruit of the Spirit. This is one of the evidences that we are spiritual. Because remember, the fruit of the Spirit is singular. All of these things are integrated, as we said last week. You're not a loving person with God's love if you're not also self controlled. You're not a joyful person according to God's joy if you're not kind. You're not a peaceful person according to the peace that passes understanding uh, if. You are not meek. And so the word meekness here literally means gentle strength, which expresses power with reserve and gentleness. Meekness is not weakness. Quite the opposite. Meekness is power, but it's power under control. This is what it means to speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. Second Thessalonians chapter three says, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Admonish him as a brother. Restoration uh, doesn't mean that we get dragged into the drama, but it does mean that we treat people as a brother who has erred. We're not aligning ourselves with that person until they get back in line. But we're not completely cutting them out of our life either. We have to be able to admonish them. We have to be able to, um, uh, to show our love, to speak the truth in love to them as they're willing to hear. And so let me give you a couple uh, qualifications for how, what it means to restore meekly and how to do that. First of all, as, as should be a- obvious, only those who have been regenerated can be restored. Only those who have been regenerated can be restored. So he's talking to brethren here. My uh, obligation towards somebody who's not a brother in Christ is not to treat them as a brother, it's to treat them as the mission. Everyone, Everyone that you meet is either in Christ or in need of Christ. So if someone's in Christ... I treat them as a brother. I treat them as a sister. If they're an erring brother, we have conflict as siblings. Some of you, many of you have grown up with siblings. You know, even the best of siblings uh, and the greatest love you have of a sibling, there's still conflict that comes with that. Anytime you live with somebody, there's going to be conflict even if you love them with all your heart. So I'm either treating someone as, a, as the mission field or as part of the fellowship to accomplish the mission. And so if somebody is truly saved and there's been some, uh, some, they, they have testimony of faith and there's been some evidence that they're truly saved, uh, I need to be seeking restoration of that person. But only the regenerated can truly be restored. Uh, number two, only those who are overtaken need to be restored. We all stumble. This is not, this is not the permission to go around and spec hunt in everybody's life for every little error that is going on in people. Because I, I guarantee you, you spend enough time, you're going to find lots of error in my life. Okay, I am not a perfect man. You have my permission to ask my wife. I am not a perfect man. I, I can be... Uh, well, I'm not going to list my faults. It's not about me, right? <laughs> Any of us... I, I heard a speaker one time say... Um, I won't give his name because I don't endorse his ministry, but he did, I did like it when he said this. He said, you know, if you really knew me, you wouldn't sit here and listen to me speak. But don't get too high and mighty because if I really knew you, I wouldn't bother talking to you. And if we get speck hunting in each other's lives, boy, we, can, we find all kinds of flaws and errors. This is not permission to go speck hunting in everybody's life, looking for little flaws. We all stumble in many ways, James says, especially where it relates to our tongue and things that slip out of our mouths and things we say that we shouldn't say. And all oh, as soon as it went out of my mouth, like toothpaste out of the tube, I wish I could have got that back, but it's gone. And now I got to deal with the damage. So we all stumble. But when somebody is overtaken, something has come upon them quickly and caught them up in error, in fruitlessness, they're provoking they're envious Uh, work that list back in chapter five of all the obvious works of the flesh when somebody's life has become caught up in one of those areas they need to be restored but also let me let me qualify it here only those who are willing to be restored will be restored they have they have to be willing i i can't make someone be restored second timothy Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And then he goes down into uh, to this in, in verses 24 and 26 of Second Timothy chapter two, where he says, "The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patience in. Meekness. Here's that word meekness again. Instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Paul says, Timothy, there are people in your church that you're called to minister to and they have been caught up in the snare of the devil and you need to not argue with them and not to waste your time getting all argumentative and combative and, and and let them distract you from the mission you just speak to them the truth and you pray that God in his patience will tug at their heart and that they will repent and that they'll acknowledge the truth and that they will escape the snare of the devil and so that brings us to the next point here restore responsibly not recklessly restore responsibly not recklessly considering thyself Paul says lest thou also be tempted can I release you tonight you are not the Holy Spirit you have the Holy Spirit if you're a child of God but you are not the Holy Spirit what does that mean it means you can't help everyone you can't fix everything you can't change anyone all the change comes from him The Holy Spirit. Now we can be used to speak the truth in love. We can be used to confront people. We can be used by God. But He's the one who has to make the change. Wives, God's the one who has to change your husband. Husbands, God's the one who has to change your wife. Parents, God's the one who has to change your kids. Now, we have a role to play in all of those relationships. We as husbands are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are to be submissive to their husbands as unto the Lord. Parents, we're not to, especially dads, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We have responsibility. We have a role to play, but you are not the Holy Spirit. You cannot make choices for people. You can't change anyone, and you can't even help everyone. There are people who do not want to be helped. And so you have to guard yourself. You have to be responsible, not reckless. Self-confidence disguised as sympathy and selflessness is, in fact, self-righteousness. The pastor who thinks he can fix every situation and fix every person and counsel every person into Uh, a restored marriage is setting himself up for temptation and for a fall. And don't take my word for it. Just look at the ample number of religious, spiritual, Christian leaders who have fallen into sexual sin, who have fallen into um, uh, pride, abusive, uh, what we call heavy shepherding, abusive control of a church, and have had to step back from their ministries. And I've told you before that uh, the list of Pastors that I used to podcast just even 10 years ago. In fact, well, one of the guys I used to follow, uh, and I'd post his quotes on Facebook, and you know, the mem- Facebook memories came up. One of them rolled up again today from this guy. And what he said was great, and I wish I could reshare it, but I don't want to give this guy any props because he has revealed himself to be a wolf because he's controlling and domineering, and, and he, he destroyed his church. In fact, he destroyed an entire network of churches because of his pride and his arrogance don't think that you can fix everything don't think that you are beyond temptation don't think that you're the one you're so selfless that you're going to you're going to fix that person listen listen wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall Amen. there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that she may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13. So there are times when there are people that I, I just can't help. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to, if I'm trying to counsel somebody, it doesn't mean that I'm going to fall into the same sin. But maybe because of the personality conflict, maybe that person is just going to trigger something in me, and a, 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 a pride in me or trigger an anger in me doesn't mean that I'm going to necessarily get sucked into the identical sin, although that does happen. But we need to make sure that we are on guard. And this is why this has to be a corporate thing. This is is what we do together. Restore corporately. Bear ye one another's weight or burdens. This is what true Christ-like love looks like. And by the way, bearing one another's burdens, that's that's going to be a little bit painful at times. That's going to... Requires some sacrifice to serve others. That's going to mean I'm going to have to spend time that I don't want to spend and, and uh, investments I don't want to make to bear ye one another's burdens. This is not something that we're to do as individuals. This is something that we're to do as the body, the fellowship of Christ. And so expect, accept, excuse me, accept responsibility to be in fellowship so that we can be part of this restoration process and here's the second thing accept responsibility for your own fruitfulness accept responsibility for your own fruitfulness koinonia is not codependency koinonia is partnership it's fellowship it's communion one with another but that doesn't mean that i get to throw all of my cares and concerns and responsibilities on somebody else as a christian I am to bear one another's burdens. I am to be part of that. But notice what he says here in verses 3 and 4 again. If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself, but let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. The Greek word here for burden is is a different word. We'll get there in a second. Let me tell you three things about this, about accepting responsibility for your own fruitfulness. Number one, examine yourself correctly. Examine yourself correctly. A person unwilling or unable to restore because they're not part of a fellowship, they've separated themselves, is not truly spiritual. You're not spiritual if you're not in fellowship. Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith philippians 2 3 a parallel verse here from uh, chapter 5 verse 26 philippians 2 3 says let nothing be done through strife or vain glory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves so i have to examine myself correctly and what happens is people get hurt and listen i've n- i've not been hurt anywhere more than in church The people who have hurt me the most have been other Christians. That's just true. But I have a responsibility. My faith is in Him. He's never let me down. He's never failed me. And my job is to respond to that pain spiritually and to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Not to replicate that provoking and envying and separate myself from the body of Christ, and to go out there and to be bitter and disconnected and think that I'm more spiritual. Oh, I don't need to go to church. I don't need the body of Christ. I I have my own relationship with God. Well, you may have your own relationship with God, but it's not a strong one. Because if it was strong, you would be with His family. You would be with His body. There's a false teacher. I can't remember his name. I'm not shielding his name because uh, I'm just shielding it because I don't remember it. But he wrote a book a number of years ago uh, called... Uh, they love Jesus but hate the church. Incorrect. Anybody that loves Jesus and hates the church does not love the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. Don't tell me you love me but you hate my wife. You don't love me. You don't think very much of me if you hate my wife. Because that's my one flesh. All right? We are his one flesh. We're his bride. We are the body of Christ. Don't. Don't tell me you love me and you hate my son. We're the, we're the children of the Father of God. Amen. And so anybody who says, well, I love Jesus, but I hate that church. Well, let me tell you something. Then the Jesus that you think you know is not the Jesus of the Bible. And, and that's really scary because that Jesus can't save you. Because he doesn't, he doesn't exist. So examine yourself correctly. Test your work honestly. Test your work honestly, Paul says, to approve by testing. Am I the, do, t- take some time this week, you and the Holy Spirit with the Word of God in front of you. Make time for this because this matters. And work this list. Father, how am I doing with love? How am I doing with Your love? How am I doing with joy? How am I doing with peace? God, it, and if, if the Holy Spirit needs to do the work, He'll let you know. Amen. And He'll do it. It's not a matter of saying, well, you know, I'm struggling in this area. I might as well give up. No, no, no. I'm struggling in this area. I know you'll help me. Remember, we talked in the last couple of weeks, claim the promise. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you claim that promise and trust that he will do it and allow him to do the work, he will do the work and you'll change in that area. You'll change in that area. I'm not perfect. As uh, Mark Lowry says, you know, I'm not uh, who, I, who I used to be, I'm not who I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not who I was. And I know many of you can give testimony to that as well. So test your work honestly, Paul says. You, you need to have some time for self-reflection uh, with God being the one who is doing the introspection with you. And then serve Christ dependably. Serve Christ dependably. Every man shall bear his own burden now again as i said a few moments ago this is a different greek word than we see back in verse two all of us have weights that come into our life we have we go through seasons life comes in seasons and we all go through a season of life and many of us have struggled this past year because we this has been an unprecedented time in all of our lives because of the challenges that we've had to face things that uh, that haven't happened in a hundred years and and we've had to deal with some unexpected things and unprecedented things that have happened uh, in our culture, in our country, in our lives. We have to bear that weight together. Amen. We have to bear that weight together. Nevertheless, there's a different Greek word here. The word here speaks of a burden carried by the individual. It's a portioned burden. I'm not going to even try to pronounce that Greek word, but every man shall bear his own portion. Every man shall bear his own individual responsibility. See, I have a unique calling on my life. I have personal responsibilities that you don't have. There's only one person that can love my wife as her husband, and that's me. I can't, I can't put that responsibility off onto my son when he grows up or to some other guy or to her brother's. That's my calling. That's my responsibility. And God will hold me accountable for that. And the same thing goes true for her for me. I'm a pastor. There are things that I am responsible to do. Now, I share this pulpit, of course. Uh, uh, we had uh, uh, Emily Greenewald, our newest missionary, who spoke a few weeks ago. Uh, our next to newest missionary, Andy Maples, is going to be speaking, Lord willing, in a few weeks. And uh, Pastor Nick speaks. Uh, Scott shared a few weeks ago. We uh, have other people, of course, that share this. This is not my pulpit, but this is my responsibility to be the primary teacher. It's what God has called me to do, and I, and I don't get to put that responsibility. I don't want to put that responsibility off on somebody else, but, but I don't get to do that. that is my call. That's my burden that God has called me to bear, and there are burdens to that, and there are times when, when I'm preparing a sermon, and, and Gigi will say, is there, can I and do anything to help you, or there's been times when Pastor Nick has said, hey, is there anything I can do to help you, and it's like, not in this, not with this. This is the portion that I've got to carry. This is, this is the burden I've got to carry. And I've got to depend on Him to have the strength to do it. So, you need to make sure that you're serving Christ dependably and you're carrying your own burdens. We all, there are weights that we all have to carry together and we have to do it as a body, as a family, but that doesn't mean that we don't accept the own individual calling that God has placed on each of our lives. In our families, in our church, where we work, we have to be dependable in serving Christ. So accept responsibility to be in fellowship. Accept responsibility for my own fruitfulness. Don't be codependent. Don't be somebody who always needs somebody else to get the most basic things done. Yes, there are times when we need help, but we also have responsibilities. And then the last thing here, and we'll just briefly touch on this, and I would commend you and how you as a church have been doing this. And so this is just by way of Admonition from the word of God and, and not uh, by way of correction. Um, j- encouragement by the way of God, not by way of, of correction. Number three is accept responsibility to provide for the teachers in your fellowship, the pastors in your fellowship. Verse six, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Uh Christ has given some gifts to the church. First of all, apostles and prophets. Paul says they're the foundation of the church. But also Christ has given to the church the evangelist, what we would call the missionary, and the pastor-teacher. And it is the church's responsibility to provide for the needs of those who have been called to do that work, have been called to pastor and teach. And specifically here, it's meeting the financial needs of the pastor. Now, financial needs of the pastor. doesn't mean that the pastor should ever live in a mansion built off of the tithes and offerings of the congregation. Now, what a pastor does outside of church, if he wants to author a book, if he, wants to, if he has a lot of... Family wealth, there are some pastors they 're just born into money and they have lots of money. there's nothing wrong with having money it 's not sinful to have money, but what we see throughout the New Testament, what we see throughout American culture is the pastor who bilks the sheep, who fleeces the sheep, and that is something they will give an account for, but we don 't want to go to the other extreme Now again, I'm, I'm a, I say this as a way of encouragement. We, have certainly been provided for. We're very blessed uh, by uh, what you have provided for us. And so this is not in any way to uh, rebuke you. This is to affirm you and encourage you to continue uh, to do what God has called you to do. Provide for the financial needs. This is from the Old Testament, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Timothy chapter 5 applies it to the pastor. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. The main priority that I have, the main responsibility that I have, 2 Timothy chapter 4, is to preach the Word, to be instant in season and out of season, to use the Word of God to reprove, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with all patience and doctrine. That's my responsibility. That's my portion. And it takes time to do that. It takes time to study. It takes time to prepare. And then it takes time uh, to actually present the Word of God. And so that is the, that's not the only responsibility I have, but notice that Paul highlights that is what I am primarily being provided for so that I have time that you don't have to be in the Word. Some of you do. May, you may have that amount of time in your life to be able to do that, but, but God has called some of us to invest the majority of our time as your pastor into the study and preparation of God's Word because it's God's Word that is going to change you. That's what the Holy Spirit uses. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You want to grow in your faith, you need to be be in the Word. And so again, we don't want to become codependent on our pastors where we only get Word of God from from the pastor, but God has uniquely called and gifted to the church pastors and teachers, and so we need to make sure that we're providing for them. And again, I want to thank you and commend you for your faithfulness uh, in doing that. So, if I am truly fruitful... In the Holy Spirit, if I'm truly a spiritual person, I'm going to be fruitful in fellowship. I'm going to be accepting responsibility for my own fruitfulness. And I'm going to be providing for those who provide the word to the body. Would you stand as we close in prayer? Andy's going to be coming. I don't know if you have a decision you need to make tonight. uh, If you need to come to the altar and pray, if you want to come uh, and pray with one of our deacons or, or one of our deacons' wives. We want to give you an opportunity to, to do that. And so let's just take a moment and pray and as we prepare our hearts. Father, we thank you, God, for the privilege of being called your children. God, what a, uh, an amazing privilege it is, something that we, God, can only, can only begin to grasp, the incredible gift that is. But God, help us to see also the responsibility that we have as your children towards one another, uh, towards being patient with one another, Uh, towards loving one another, towards being willing to be part of the restoration process. God, help us to be faithful, to be fruitful together so that you get all the glory. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. What another great message from Pastor DJ. I hope this has found you well and has made an impact on your life in the name of Jesus. If it has, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen on. And share it with a friend so others might be encouraged as well. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to hear from you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.